0: Podcast at Boatwright. I am Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Boatwright Library. Our faculty interview is with Dr. Tim Barney, Assistant Professor of Rhetoric and Communication Studies. He is the author of a new book, Mapping the Cold War, Cartography and the Framing of America's International Power, published recently by the University of North Carolina Press. In this fascinating history of Cold War cartography, Dr. Barney considers maps as central to the articulation of ideological tensions between American national interest and international aspirations. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write on this particular topic?
1: Well- I wish I had a more exciting story than the fact that I I think maps are really cool. And I remember uh, being uh, around age seven, my parents got me uh, a children's atlas uh, when I was that age, and it was my favorite thing. And ever since then, I I decorate with maps. Everything around me is is map related. So I kind of just made it in an excuse to actually make into my work. And my wife probably hates that there's so many maps around my house. But when it came to going to graduate school, um, I I work in rhetoric and is my is my bread and butter and usually that's typically speeches and, and other um, you know uh, uh, verbal documents and, and things like that uh, and but I was interested in, in this idea of visual rhetoric and I was able to kind of take my passion of maps and apply it to this notion of visual rhetoric and how uh, we get persuaded by visual images every day maps are a really powerful part of that and so um, I, I was just hooked from there as I started to work through uh, maps and and, uh, and I just, I went down the rabbit hole at that point. I just found all kinds of new things out there uh, that I had never seen before. So, Great. Well, thank you. And is there any particular reason that you chose the period of the Cold War? Yeah. Well, I think this—that's another thing. Where growing up um, at the tail end of the Cold War, uh, I had this almost mysterious fascination, especially uh, the, the images of the of the wall falling, and uh, around that time. And I remember getting this atlas when I was a kid. Uh, it was talking about uh, the Cold War as it was sort of ending. And I remember from that age, um, I was just so so fascinated by it. The other thing is that. Um, maps in the Cold War go especially well together because maps really were one of the central um, articulations, if you will, of um, that bipolar atmosphere between the, the United States and the Soviet Union. Maps were really able to capture that division between the two. And, uh, and so to see them sometimes as propaganda maps, but also um, just e- even the most scientific seeming of maps um, had political messages during the Cold War. Um, it really goes back to the ideology of us against them, and MAPS did a really nice job of portraying that uh, in borders and colors, shapes, and, and all that. So I think I really found as I started to go into it that it wasn't just my childhood interest, but this is, I was on to something else that I thought uh, other people might be interested in as well. So, Great. That's just fascinating.
0: So how can the University of Richmond community use this book to address space on campus?
1: Sure, well, you know one of the funny things is uh, my poor students i I unleashed some of the the parts of this book before it came out to them uh, during my f y s course and I was a little wary at first i wasn 't sure if they were going to take to this kind of work and that they thought maybe maps were just sort of a, this random uh, interest of their professors and We quickly started to find out that you know on the first day of class, for example, we have them draw. And they're freshmen, they don't know much about the, the campus. We had them draw a picture of, uh, or draw a map of the campus, uh, what they knew of it so far. And it's really funny to see that uh, their dormitories were huge on the map, and um, the dining hall was huge, but then their classrooms were very small on the map. And all of a sudden you get to see that people's uh, visions of space were different. The athletes had a large, they on their maps, their, the, um, the athletic facilities were large. For other folks, it was the chemistry, you know, got got walled and things like that, and so they got to draw the maps of campus, and we started to realize that the approach to space uh, is definitely ideologically and culturally uh, from your background, from your memories, from your experiences, and uh, that sort of clicked with them. So then, when we started to transfer that to things like foreign policy uh, and what was going on around the world, and different ways in which maps portray that, I think it it allowed them to reflect back on on where they've been. And then at the end of the semester it's great because we get to look at their maps and they uh, at the that they did at the beginning of the semester and they get to see how much that's really changed and we get to ask them hey what would you have done differently how would you look at campus space differently now that you you've had this semester of being immersed in maps and their um, their answers are always you know eye opening about uh, how they would do it differently even in the space of of 4 months mm-hmm. so yeah
0: well that's a very creative way
1: to connect i think <laughs> the local to the global and well, that's, back again that's such a good yeah. point too i mean yeah. and, and the, that those uh, um, relationships between the local to the regional to the global—that's um, what mapping uh, is all about. And so uh, we tried to do that, and also we try to tie into other folks that are doing really interesting things about space on campus. And so one of the things that my book is very much about uh, history and, and politics. Um, but if you grab somebody like David Salisbury in the geography department and you bring him into class, somebody who's been on the actual ground in a place like Peru who's got to see the political uh, ramifications of mapping to um, indigenous uh, uh, populations in those areas, and you talk about the politics of that to students, they start to really make connections that are, um, uh, you know, uh, like you said, local and, and global in, in nature. And I really like to, like to see that, you know. Right. So.
0: Well, following up on the mm-hmm. student component, uh, did students assist you with the research and preparation of this book?
1: Well, I would say that um, this was a uh, legit- this was a very solitary enterprise, right, okay. so so this is me and lots of archives and working on the book, but I will say that my students, um, I was knee-deep in, in actually writing this while I was teaching here, and uh, and so the I think the inspiration, a lot of that came from the students and and uh, in conversations that I got to have with them about this, um, and so it was actually nice to be able to teach and then have to go back and, and, uh, and be in the dusty archives at places like the Library of Congress to go up there and, and to think, no, this actually does does make sense to to people outside of my own um, adult brain at that time, and so it was nice to be able to go to a classroom and talk to them about this and say, "Hey, I'm I'm writing this. What does this kind of idea make sense?" and uh, and it was nice to be able to to uh, to do that with students. One exercise, for example, that we that we did in class was I had them look at um, the reviews of one of my uh, uh, early chapters of the book, and uh, th- at this point it was blind review. I didn't know who was reviewing this stuff, and I, I gave it to the students to take a look at, and uh, and there was really it was hilarious because I had just given them back comments on their papers, mm-hmm. and you know I had to give them a lot of feedback, and, and I wanted to be encouraging, but I also had to say you have a lot of work to do here, and so I got to show them that I also go. through that same process, and so I think they really appreciated saying, "Well, Dr. Barty, you know, he, he doesn't have a, a clear main thesis here," and uh, and so I think they got a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, they were learning to be critical reviewers. <laughs> <That's great>. Exactly. <laughs> so so I wanted to make sure that uh, they know that that their professors go through something like that. So mm-hmm. so amidst that solitary work of doing the research, um, it was great to bounce ideas off of students and realize they actually can really offer something to this to the table here, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. Very good. How would you envision undergraduate students using the book for their study and research? <laughs> I, I like this question. Uh, it's it's a good one because you know um, you, you you have to decide if you really want to you know have students you know, read and read through your work and if it's if it's painful to them you know. Uh, but I do think that uh, that I will use this in in the classroom. Going back to the to the question that you had about space. I think with what I'm trying to do is I don't expect that students are going to necessarily go on and become you know cartographic theorists and rhetorical critics when they <laughs> when they grow up you know I I'm, I don't think that that's going to happen but I do think that using something as everyday and ubiquitous as maps. Uh, allows them to create their own sort of critical sens- uh, sensibility and sensitivity um, around uh, visual texts, and so I really like and um, say in an FYS course where you're trying to get them to really build a critical vocabulary right off the bat is for them to actually use um, their everyday uh, surroundings to do that, and I think maps provide that. So I'd really like to create a sense of um, uh, that sort of uh, critical detection uh, within them, and I don't think that even if they forget some of the the technical terms about mapping later on, as long as they can build that, that question about, hey, is this map that looks like it's just this very staid scientific document, if I look closer at it and ask certain questions of it, you know, maybe I can get somewhere deeper with it, and that—that's the best. If we can do that, then we've done our job. You right, know, right? <laughs> so, and then our last question:
0: How did library services support you in writing the book?
1: Uh, well, that's a really good question too. I mean, uh, this book wouldn't have been possible without uh, you know the uh, the help, especially here at the right here at the University of Richmond. Um, one of the things that I had to do was not only to get your, you know, your typical secondary sources, but um, so much of what I was doing was uh, primary archival sources. And a lot of the maps I needed to produce the book. There's nothing. This this book is nothing without the the images because a lot of what I'm trying to do is is say, look at these images. Look what's what I think is going on here. And you need your your readers to be able to go along with you. And so um, I got lots of help from library services tracking down all kinds of hard to find maps, um, bringing them in here, you know, actually getting them here, um, scanning them in and making really good uh, copies of them. And, and that's what we actually used in, in the book. We sent that to the press and they were so happy with the way that the images came out that we actually used those. And so that was just invaluable uh, to, to what we were doing here. And I also um, a lot of the maps I originally found at places like the National Archives um, up in DC, and then also um, the Library of Congress as well. Mm-hmm. And I found them a lot of those originally from um, those those cases, uh, and took uh, good pictures of them. But those pictures wouldn't wouldn't come out, you know, wouldn't be book quality. And wow. so, actually, getting them um, the uh, our librarians here and our, our library technicians to track these maps down and, and get good copies of them that was. Quite a process, and I don't even want to bore you know uh, listeners with you know the permissions process. I don't even oh, want man. to go into that. But that was another thing where they were um, they were also helpful in in getting permissions to use these these crazy old maps that uh, uh, from all kinds of different places like Time Life, National Geographic, uh, and then just the U.S. government itself. So. That took a lot of uh, a lot of effort, a lot of time, and as I think as Hillary Clinton has said it, you know, it takes a village. So I, you know, it's a, a, a village helped to basically produce this book. <laughs> well, I'm glad we had a part. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: well, thank you, Dr. Barney, for your conversation. Mapping the Cold War, Photography, and the Framing of America's International Power is available in Boatwright Library and the University Bookstore.